0: Every single person has a stronghold. What is a stronghold? Well, in Paul's day, it was a fortress where people would flee to escape danger. But spiritually, a stronghold is anything on which we depend. A stronghold is where we run when things get difficult. And any stronghold that has taken the place of Jesus Christ in our lives is a counterfeit stronghold. But maybe you're here this morning and you already know that. Or maybe you already know that you're making something else your stronghold other than Jesus Christ. And maybe the fortress you're in has become more of a prison than a protection and you want out. But you don't know how to get out. Well, I have good news this morning. The gospel... Can get you out. There's no stronghold in our lives that the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot destroy. And that's the take home message this morning. No stronghold can stand against the power of the gospel. No stronghold can stand against the power of the message that Jesus Christ, who died in our place, is alive. You know, when Jesus comes into your life, you have a greater power in you than what is in the world. You have a greater power than any stronghold that wants to take you prisoner. Isn't that good news? Let's keep that in mind as we look at these verses this morning. I'm going to read them for us, starting in verse 3. Paul says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. These are God's words for us this morning. We're going to look at three counterfeit strongholds that are so common that the gospel of Jesus Christ destroys. I trust that as we walk through these words this morning, God will be working on your heart about what things you need to submit to Him again. Here's the first one. Gospel of Jesus Christ destroys counterfeit warfare. Counterfeit warfare. We are in a spiritual war. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what counterfeit warfare is and what correct spiritual warfare is. Look at verse 3 again. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Here's what this verse means. For though we live as frail human beings, we are not fighting with frail human weapons. When Paul says here in the flesh, he's not talking about the sinful nature. He's talking about simply being human. Subject to the laws and limitations of being human. You know, Jesus Christ was subject to the limitations of being human while he walked this earth. Jesus Christ got hungry, he got tired, he wept when Lazarus died. Jesus was a human being. You know, Paul lived as a frail human being, didn't he? When you listen to Paul talk about what it means to be in this flesh, I mean, he talked about it somewhat in a depressing way, I think. He said, we are like jars of clay. We are like earthly tents in which we groan. He said, the outer self is passing away. Listen, Christ knew that we are frail human beings. Paul knew that he was a frail human being. But here's the next thing he's saying. He's saying we are not fighting with frail human weapons. He's saying I might be frail, but I don't fight with this. We don't fight the way the world fights. Listen, do you think that we can win the most decisive, eternally significant war with this? I don't know about you guys. Maybe you got a Ferrari. I feel like I've got an Oldsmobile these days. (laughs) I'm not going to win any spiritual wars with this. Do you think that we can win the most decisive, eternally significant war with this? We've seen where that gets us, haven't we? It's okay to laugh. Do you think that Christ or that Paul thought they were going to win this war with this or with this? Of course not. Of course not. But we live in a world that exalts this and this, don't we? We exalt a heavy bench press, a high ACT score, a Harvard education. We exalt beauty and anti-aging treatments. We exalt the human body, the human mind, the human achievement, human technology, the self-made man and woman, the rugged individual. We exalt those things in our world. That's what our culture exalts. But listen, Christian, that's not how we fight. That's not how we fight in the church. If we fight that way, we will not win. We won't prevail fighting the way the world fights. So we've established that we're frail. We've established that we don't fight according to our frailty. How do we fight? How do we fight? Well, rather than just tell you with this, (laughs) I'll tell you with this, And you'll see Ephesians chapter 6 up on the screen. This is the passage on how to correctly wage spiritual warfare. Let me just read it for us Ephesians 6 12 through 20. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Man, That doesn't sound like a a light foe, does it? (laughs) That means behind the human uh, authorities, behind the human institutions, there's something else going on. We're fighting powerful spiritual forces in the heavenly places. So how can we hope to possibly win a battle against that? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, we fight with truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, we fight with righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, we fight with the gospel. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. We fight with faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation. We fight with salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We fight with the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, we fight with unceasing prayer. In the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. With all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. We fight with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We fight by boldly proclaiming the mystery of the gospel. Paul says, For which I am an ambassador in chains. You know, he wasn't winning according to worldly standards. He was in chains. But he was declaring it boldly as he ought to speak. So right here, we get 10 weapons. We get 10 spiritual weapons. We get truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God, unceasing prayer, life in the Holy Spirit, perseverance, boldly proclaiming the gospel. And listen, compared to those spiritual weapons, human weapons are like little Nerf guns. These are God's weapons from God's storehouse to win God's wars. And even though the world doesn't take them seriously, I'm telling you right now, they have divine power to destroy strongholds in your life and in the lives around you. Listen, don't fight with Nerf guns. Fight with God's weapons. Don't fight with counterfeit warfare. Fight with real weapons. Fight with faith and truth and prayer and life in the Holy Spirit and perseverance and righteousness. The world doesn't know how to fight back. Against those things. That's why Jesus went off for full nights and prayed. That's why Jesus fasted. That's why Jesus lived a life of righteousness. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ destroys counterfeit warfare and replaces it with correct, divine, spiritual warfare. Here's the second one. The gospel of Jesus Christ destroys counterfeit worship. Counterfeit worship. Now, in the church, we typically think of worship as just music. I'm not just talking about music. I'm talking about what Romans 12 says in verse 1 when it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, right? To be a living sacrifice, to seek God and follow after Christ with our whole hearts, that is spiritual worship. And anything short of that is counterfeit worship. Look at verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You know, we mentioned that in Paul's day, a stronghold was literally a fortress where people would flee from danger. And in the city of Corinth, uh, they actually had a stronghold like this, a fortress south of the city. So when Paul's talking about this, they would have known exactly what he's talking about. And Paul uses this imagery to make the point that spiritually a stronghold is anything on which you and I depend. A stronghold is where we run when things get difficult. And listen, we all got places we run when things get difficult. And as Christians, we are called to make God our refuge, our fortress, our shield, our stronghold, our trust. That's why the psalmist talks in that way so often. He says, listen, when things get difficult, run into the arms of God. Don't run anywhere else. But as Christians, we have a tendency to make a lot of other things than God our strongholds. We have a tendency to make a lot of other dependencies than Christ our strongholds. And you know, these dependencies can be very different for all of us. That's something I've learned. Um, But I'll just walk through a couple common ones, okay? Okay. A common one can be alcohol, right? Every time I say alcohol up here, it's like everything gets so tense. Um, But we have a tendency to make something like alcohol a stronghold. In fact, I'll tell you guys, you know, because of my past experiences and my family history, I don't drink alcohol. And it's not because a beer or a glass of wine is wrong, okay? That's not wrong. We want to avoid legalism too. Drunkenness is wrong. But I've made that decision in my life because I know there could be a tendency for that to become a stronghold for me. It doesn't bother me if someone has a drink around me, but that's just a way of defending against that in my life. Because I don't want to let Satan get that foothold in my life. It might not be alcohol for you. It could be an unhealthy relationship with food, overeating or undereating, right? And maybe you need to be on guard against one of those two things. A really common one we see is money. In Proverbs 18.11, it says that a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. There is a deceitfulness to riches, isn't there? And so the issue isn't whether or not you have money, it's does money have you? Does money have your heart? And it might be something else different than those three. I trust that the Holy Spirit is working on your heart right now. But the point is, I don't think... Any of us can sit here and say we don't have a propensity or a sin bend toward making something else our dependency. You know, a good way to think of this is you'll see an illustration up on the screen is this idea of dominion independence. Okay? You'll see God at the top, us in the middle, and then things on the bottom. And in between God and us, you see the word dependence. You know, we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? We are called to make God alone our dependence. But a wonderful thing happens when we do that. God has made us in His image and called us to have dominion over all things, over over all creation. And so as we depend on God alone, we exercise dominion over things. And that's proper worship, okay? That's, That's what it's supposed to look like. But if you look at this next slide, here's what happens when things take dominion over us. You want to know what stands out about this illustration? There's something between us and God now. Now that might not come in the way of your salvation, but certainly if you've ever been in a place where you're making something else your dependence, you feel that breach in that relationship, don't you? And suddenly our worship has become counterfeit worship and this is why God takes it so seriously to make sure we depend on him alone so that we can exercise dominion over things and not let things exercise dominion over us now I want to be clear because I do want to avoid this issue of legalism okay I am not saying that you can't enjoy a glass of wine or a beer I'm not saying you can't go home from church today and eat a plate of cheese fries I'm not saying that you can't buy something that you enjoy, okay? What I'm saying is we need to make sure these things don't become our strongholds, don't we? We need to check our hearts when we come in for worship and say, Lord, is there anything that I'm putting, be- putting before you or between us? And this is more of a tension to be managed than a problem to be solved forever, okay? The problem with being a living sacrifice is we have a tendency to crawl off the altar. We need to keep bringing our hearts before God anew. We need to make sure our worship is not counterfeit worship. The gospel of Jesus Christ destroys counterfeit warfare. The gospel of Jesus Christ destroys counterfeit worship. Here's the last one. The gospel of Jesus Christ destroys counterfeit worldviews. Counterfeit worldviews. Now, those first two points have a lot to do with living. Uh, This one has a lot to do with what we believe. You know, there's a tendency in the church to say, let's just get to how we live. But I'm telling you, we got to get right what we believe. Because what you believe determines how you think. And how you think is going to determine how you live. So we got to start at the foundation, make sure we are believing correct Christian doctrine. And that's what Paul addresses in verse 5. He says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. That is an awesome verse, isn't it? Every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. What does that mean? Well, here, Paul is talking about false ideologies, false worldviews raised up against the Bible. That's what he means by knowledge of God. He likely has the imagery of the Tower of Babel in his mind here. Remember in Genesis 11, when people came together and tried to build a tower up to heaven, and because of their great pride, God scattered them? Well, Paul's talking about this high, lofty tower we would raise up and build against the knowledge of God, and he's talking about these false ideologies, these false worldviews that the world raises up against the Bible, against the truth. Listen, our world is drowning in information and starving for truth, isn't it? And there are so many false ideologies. There are so many false worldviews raised up against the Bible. But the false ideologies that concern me the most are the ones that are almost right. But not quite right. Because isn't that what Satan does? He takes the truth and he twists it, right? We see that word in Scripture, he twists it. Where it's so close to right, it almost, it kind of makes sense, but as a Christian, you have a check in your spirit because something's not right about it? That's what I'm concerned about this morning for Christians and for the church. I'm talking about true and false Christianity. You know, you think about our country. We have national borders and state borders, right? And wars are typically fought over national borders, not state borders. And that's a good analogy uh, for beliefs, for doctrine in the church. Okay, when it comes to Christian beliefs, there are national borders and state borders. So here's a few state borders. Uh, What musical instruments you prefer. Whether your pastor should wear a suit when he preaches. Whether you are a pre-trib or post-trib millennialist, or whether or not you even know what that means. Right? The point is that someone can be an orthodox Christian and have differences on those things. Those are state borders. And wars aren't fought over state borders. I'm not talking about state borders. I'm talking about national borders. Because wars are fought over national borders. What I mean by national borders are the things we need to believe to be orthodox Christians. When breakdowns happen in national borders you get all types of wrong beliefs. To reject God's design for marriage, you must first throw away the authority of Scripture. And you start looking at all these wrong beliefs that are swirling in the church today. They broke down on one of these national borders first. Let's talk about these national borders. You're going to see a few of these up on the screen. I just want to walk you through a false view of Christianity and a true view of Christianity according to these seven national borders, okay? false christianity says the bible is a good book but not our authority true christianity says the bible is the inspired word of god with authority over our lives and man it makes all the difference in the world which one you choose there about god false christianity says all religions worship the same god true christianity says no we worship the triune god father son and and Holy Spirit. About man, false Christianity says that we are basically good, all we need is a little self-improvement and self-help. True Christianity says that all of us are sinners desperately in need of a Savior. False Christianity says that Jesus doesn't require lordship of our life, he just wants our little religion compartment. True Christianity says that Jesus Christ is both our Savior and Lord and where we disagree with him, he doesn't submit to us, we submit to him. False Christianity says of salvation that there are many ways to heaven. True Christianity says that Jesus is the only way to heaven because he said that in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. False Christianity treats the church like a social club. It's a place for nice people to meet and do nice things as long as we don't step on anyone's toes. And when falsehood falsehood makes its way into the church, false Christianity says, who are we to judge? Forgetting that God has called the church to judge the church. True Christianity says that the church is the body of Christ instituted by God. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, and God calls us to discern the body and to judge those inside the church and to correct error. When it comes to the last things, false Christianity says, Where is Christ? and doesn't prepare for his second coming. True Christianity says, Perhaps Jesus Christ is coming back today to judge the world and to rescue us. There's a big difference between false and true Christianity. In fact, false Christianity isn't Christianity at all. It's a different religion altogether. And it's a false stronghold that is enslaving people and churches. And listen, we can have debates, we can have arguments over state borders, but we fight wars over national borders. We don't submit to counterfeit worldviews in the church, even if it leads to persecution, which it might, by the way. I find it interesting that today it is often considered extreme to hold a Christian worldview, even in the church. Think about that. You know, I'm reading a book right now about a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe you've heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German 20th century theologian and pastor. And in the early to mid-1930s, when things were really heating up and getting bad uh, in Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was concerned about the church, the German church, because the German church was being seduced by Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. And what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did early on was he started standing up to the church that he loved, even to his friends, even to pastors. And you know what? When you read his book, he was often alone. You know, even other pastors, even other theologians thought he was crazy. They thought he was being too dogmatic, too extreme. He even wrestled with, was he being too rigid, too extreme? But in the end, when you look back on that period of history, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was right, wasn't he? As I read that book, I can't help but think, we need more Dietrich Bonhoeffers today, don't we? Who are willing, not unlovingly, but are willing, to gently but firmly stand up for the truth and firmly correct error in the church. Because there's a lot of error in the church today, isn't there? Listen, we got to have a correct Christian worldview. The gospel of Jesus Christ destroys counterfeit worldviews. We need to have a correct Christian worldview. In conclusion, no stronghold can stand against the power of the gospel The gospel of Jesus Christ destroys counterfeit warfare, counterfeit worship, and counterfeit worldviews. You know, we've talked a lot about false, counterfeit strongholds. What is our stronghold? Well, I mentioned that it is the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the message that 2,000 years ago, a person named Jesus of Nazareth was born in a manger in Bethlehem, and he lived a perfect and sinless life and he had a ministry. But that ministry was tragically ended when he went to the Roman cross and died an unjust death on the cross, which today we know was the penalty paid for our sins. We deserved to be on that cross. But Jesus Christ didn't stay dead. After three days, he rose again. He conquered death. He appeared to many. Then he ascended to heaven Where right now, in this moment, he is seated at the right hand of God where all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. That is the gospel. And I'm telling you, if you believe in this Jesus Christ, if he lives in your heart, he who conquered death, who conquered the cross, lives in you. Band, you can come up. And there is nothing, there is nothing in your life that's more powerful than that. Maybe you've never trusted in Christ. Don't leave here until you make the most important decision you can possibly make. Your only regret will be that you didn't make it sooner. Or maybe you made that decision, but you know there's things that are starting to take a hold of your heart that aren't Christ. First of all, let me tell you, God knows anyway. He already knows. So bring it to Him as we close in worship this morning. And you will be met with grace and love And he will set your heart right again. You don't got to pick up the pieces. Just bring it to him. He'll pick them up. I'm going to be over in the prayer room if any of you needs prayer this morning.